0: We're excited because in the fall no matter what happens we know that we have all this staff ready to be able to reach out to parents get them on a call and really have quality conversations about especially now how everything is going to work come up with a plan and document it and have the parent you know date time and stamp that they were involved with this meeting you're we able to show that we're able to you know bring in our parents and um and bring them into the conversation so that they're students, their children are going to get the most support possible at this time. So that's what I'm personally excited about because it all comes back to how does it affect uh, students, how does it affect children?
1: How is the relationship between EL specialists and content teachers similar to that of a driver and a mechanic? Why is it so important to question old habits when it comes to completing compliance-related tasks? What are some ways we can increase collaboration and capacity while also streamlining workflows like meetings and monitoring forms? We discuss these questions and much more with Thomas Johnson, ELL coordinator at Fredericksburg City Schools in Virginia. Thomas and his team have discovered some great ways to maximize efficiency so they can spend more time working with students and their families. In the near future, they hope to continue improving workflows to help increase impact on their English learners using the many lessons learned during the time that schools were closed due to COVID-19. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that focuses on topics related to English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. I'm your host, Steve Sifronis. This episode is part of our special Reimagining Education series. To help visualize what the future might look like for English learners, their teachers, families, and communities, we are bringing together the people who are working to ensure that students have every opportunity to achieve their highest aspirations. We'll bring in EL leaders from around the country to discuss what they are planning for when schools reopen, how they plan on mitigating learning loss, how they are restructuring educator roles and resources under possible budget constraints, and much more. As always, we are committed to keeping you informed and inspired with resources to help you support your English learners. If you'd like to find more information or contribute to the series, check out our distance learning page at distance.elevation.com. Remember that Elevation has two L's. As always, thanks for listening. Stay safe and take care of each other. Thomas Johnson, thanks so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations.
0: Thank you so much, Steve. It's, I'm so excited to be here today and so honored.
1: Well, we're excited to have you. Uh, a colleague and I talked to you a couple weeks ago now about the great work that you're doing in your district and uh, wanted to chat with you, um, you know, about sort of where you're going, uh, not only in the midst of this whole school closure thing and thinking about next year, but also some specific things I think you, you all are doing really well that others um, can learn from. And I, you know, one of the things you said the last time we chatted, there was a quote that, I, that really kind of resonated with me. And I want to start there. Um, you were talking about EL teachers or perhaps anybody's, any teacher's ability to understand and utilize educational technology, which is obviously a huge challenge for some. Uh, in this case, you were talking about Elevation, which is an educational technology software again. And you said, I want people to, ju- uh, to just drive the car instead of know how the engine works. Um, I really, really like that way of explaining it. And I'd love it for you to kind of break that down for us because I think it might serve as a nice foundation for the rest of our conversation. Maybe you could provide an example as well.
0: Sure. So for me, one purpose for a car is to, say, get from point A to B. And in order for that to happen, both a competent driver and a working engine need to be present. However, a driver does not need to understand everything about how an engine works to drive. But when there's a problem, that driver needs to know to go to the mechanic And the mechanic is the one who spends the vast majority of his or her time working on cars to be able to diagnose and give a solution. So for me, the parallel exists in the world of teaching multilingual learners. So multilingual learners need to acquire the academic language that exists in each content area, such as math, language arts, science studies, oh, excuse me, science and social studies. And oftentimes it's that content teacher who is really the driver of that language and that language instruction. And the um, ESL teacher or multilingual teacher is, is more like the mechanic who really spends that majority of time learning how language acquisition works and can help assess what may be the roadblocks that student is facing and help that teacher overcome it. So that metaphor, is useful to me because it helps ownership on both parties, right? It helps the content teacher know that that person is the ultimate source of that target academic vocabulary because they're kind of the content experts. And they have a role in driving the language acquisition, language acquisition, excuse me, of multilingual learners. And it also is a little bit freeing because it means that the content teacher just needs to know how to drive the car, if you will. Just need to know what works right now to get success. Right. And the multilingual teacher is more like the mechanic and can learn more about the students, understand how the reports work, and help guide the instruction and curate uh, what's needed. So this is an influence in how, in our division, we look at professional development. So we curated the information down to okay, what exactly do teachers need to know right now to help their English learners succeed? And that's it, and we don't try to go further. Now, over time, teachers may wanna dig deeper and learn more about how it works, but we found that if we focus in on, you have these students and these activities and these teaching strategies we know are super effective and we'll show them to you right now, you're gonna have success. And I like it because it helps kind of clarify how the partnership works.
1: Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, especially having you explain it. And one thing that you said just recently was, you know, there'll be some teachers who want to know a little bit more about how that engine works. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'll they'll dig a little deeper. That's certainly not me when I drive my car. I'm the person who is going to take it to the mechanic because I don't have the time nor the inclination, right. frankly, to learn how these complicated <laughs> engines work. Um, but but there are folks who who want to know a little bit more and they can become... I don't know if we want to take this this metaphor any further, but I think, I think <laughs> it's interesting to think about those teachers as kind of power users of whatever it is that right. they're using, whether it's the car or the specific language acquisition content, uh, whatever it is that they're doing. And they can become then... Uh, almost, folks who can help others, right, in a, in a, in kind of a smaller way within a school. So I think there's a lot of levels here that we could get into,
0: right. And and you're talking, it reminds me of the time I remember I was working with a new second grade teacher, so especially new teachers. So they're having a science class and they're teaching the water cycle, and there was a lot of um, newer English learners in the classroom, and the new vocabulary of evaporation, condensation was kind of, and you could tell the teacher wanted some support. So I remember going in the classroom and instead of explaining what needed to be done, I just sat there and said, all right, everybody, put your hands up. No, what we started with, started, we got real low and said, evap, evap, evaporation, evap, evap. And you can watch my hands going up, if you will. I know it's a <laughs> podcast and condense, condense, condensation, and then precipitate, you know? And so we made this little, hand motion, total physical response. And the teacher was like, oh, that's wonderful. You know, let me take a video so I can even just show it again later. So, you know, she didn't necessarily have to be the one reenacting it. Um, But, you know, teachers just need, okay, what works? And then they see it, you know, that's the best part. You just see it. Okay. If I do something like that, um, these kids are able to learn a little bit more, uh, quicker, or effectively. So that's, from my perspective, what I'm talking about. I still remember that song. I think it's funny.
1: Yeah, I love it. It's a great example. Um, I, well, I appreciate you starting there. I know that's kind of an odd place to start, perhaps, but that quote really resonated with me, and I think, like as I said, it might inform some of the rest of the of the conversation. So if you're listening, just just keep that uh, sort of car uh, metaphor and engine uh, in mind. Uh, we're going to go now to to something that, that may sound totally different, but there is a sort of transition here, I promise, and that's thinking about um, compliance, right? And so making those compliance processes more efficient requires a lot of change management, perhaps thinking about the cars, you get a newer car and it's got more bells and whistles, it's harder to work on, maybe. Um, I'm curious as, as to how, thinking about sort of what you've just described and PD and everything else, how have you gone about introducing new practices in a way that motivates teachers to use them, even though they may have been using sort of the same system over and over again. The manila folder is the classic example, perhaps driving a Volkswagen bug instead of a brand new Audi, for example.
0: Uh, I I love this car metaphor. I'm Uh, not
1: going to stop. I'm not. I can't help it.
0: So um, so how about I tell a quick story about, um, and I'll go into... I think is it's reminding me of a time when I was uh, driving in the country of Kenya. I was spending some time over in Kenya and of course you're on the other side of the road and um, I wanted to, to drive there so I signed up for driving school so I could get my license there. I didn't I don't actually know if I really needed to do that but I wanted to do it to learn how to drive on the streets and fun fact I learned how to drive stick there which is not the best place to learn to drive stick but Um, the, the the part that I had was the windshield wiper and the blinkers are opposite. And no matter how much I knew that they were opposite, he's like, turn left, signal left. And I would hit it and the windshield wipers would go muscle memory, muscle memory. Right. So the thing we have to remember is what we've all experienced as staff members is that, you know, habits have formed over the years on how to do things. And of course, habits are, can be useful because you don't have to think about everything you're doing. Um, But the challenge is our habits are usually formed at the time and situation that they were needed. Um, For example, I'm still when um, people call me on the phone and they wanted to say, Hey, let me tell you my number or address. I'm like, oh, I need a pen and a paper. Even though I full well know I'm gonna lose that paper soon, and the best place for me to put it is on an electronic device, a phone, a computer, because that's where I won't lose it, right? But it's still, the habit's there. Um, And it just kind of is kind of stuck there. So what we have found is that when you start introducing more, well, you can say, trying to streamline processes, one has to think more like, or I like to think more like a personal trainer. You know, you can explain how to log in the new software, but we started doing every PD with logging into the software because you would find someone would still have questions and just the act of doing it helped make it more of a muscle memory um, because what we found is some teachers were like, oh, I meant to look it up, then I couldn't remember my password, then I had to look at my password, then I couldn't remember where I stored my password or where I wrote it down. And so because the muscle memory is there, not, oh, excuse me, not there, it kind of hindered adoption of certain whatever it is you 're trying to help them adopt, yeah. so the more we got the physical act involved it easier game now another thing that 's huge here is actually the attitude of the trainers because it 's hard because it seems so simple. you know when you 're the one teaching someone how to do it, um, I started teaching my niece how to drive on a field. And, of course, something symbolized. okay, we're going to back up the car and you're going to let it idle and let it go, you know, it's all new for her. So she's like, you know, she was doing good, but still it, it felt like a really large piece of work for her. And it can be very easy to think someone, and I put my air quotes, should be able to do some particular action um, for whatever reason we believe. You know, it could be, well, they're used to phones anyway, so they should be able to do this other application I want, or they, you know, I showed them last week how to do this, and they should know how to do it by now. And it's hard because you have to be really affirming and supportive of staff, no matter where they're at, and really just keep encouraging them like a trainer would for this new habit of ad- adoption, and be realistic that it will take some time, and there's you may still have them regress to their old habits a year or two from now. And it's okay because it's just kind of how the human brain works in adopting new things.
1: Yeah. Your story resonates with me on a variety of levels. Number one, I was a teacher for a very long time and I did a lot of PD in my own district, whether that be informal or formal. And then when I started here at Elevation, I was a member of the training team and I would go around and train in various different districts. And I would always tell folks, hey, the hardest part of the training is right now. It's logging in. So we're all going to do it together, you know, and we're going to remember what that password is or whatever your single sign-on is. You know, and invariably, you'd go back there six months later and people would say, I don't remember my password. So those things are, uh, you know, and that's just just getting in to whatever Mm -hmm. system you're trying to use. And then you have all the other pieces of it, you know, um, in, in the end, we all know, even the person who's having difficulty logging on, this is probably going to be more efficient for me, but that mm-hmm. muscle memory and the idea of, Hey, I've, I've always had my mental folder. It works for me. I, yes. I don't have like, and teachers just don't have any times so, like to invest the time up front into something just is just, it's, it's very difficult to, uh, to resist the temptation to say, okay, this is going to be good for me.
0: Oh, wait, before you go any further, it reminds me of, uh, I got an email one day of, you know, this is how Gordon Ramsay cuts an onion, right? And I watched it, and it's nowhere near how I've ever cut an onion. So I had a choice. Do I learn this new kind of best practice if Gordon Ramsay's the one doing it? (laughs) Or I just keep cutting the way I used to cut? And so I was like, okay, let me take the time now that we got right home and learn how to cut an onion. I guess this guy's special way. So it just reminds me of that too.
1: Did, did it work? Are you glad it you did, did it?
0: because you, it cuts it into nice little pieces without missing tear up. Now my wife still, those things it's, I, I still can't get it quite right where it's thin enough yet. So she still has to like make it thinner. if I'm cooking for her. Um, but it's way better than I was. It was taking me forever to mangle that onion.
1: Good. Another example. Great. Some great real life examples so far. We're still early on. This is great. Um, well, let's get a little bit more specific. Um, you know we're dealing with uh, obviously a situation where a lot of things need to be done remotely. Um, that may continue to be the case moving forward for some time. we we don't know at this point, still here, uh, as we approach late June. Um, and, and I know that one specific thing that you've been able to do there is to conduct one hundred percent of your meetings remotely while schools were closed. I'd love it if you could talk with us a little bit about how you were able to accomplish this, both given, the complexity that those meetings sometimes um, have that are inherent to them, and also given what you just talked about, which is the idea of change management. I imagine this was new for a lot of folks.
0: Yes. So it's, it's interesting how this kind of converged here. So the ability to conduct these meetings online actually grew out of an earlier area of growth we were encountering a while back. We just found that the number of staff we had dedicated to handling the compliance meetings, the, the teacher meetings, the parent meetings, um, was having trouble keeping up with our growth in our uh, numbers of multilingual learners and also the kind of growth and the expectations um, from the State Department. So kind of both ends. And it was kind of leading to a vast consumption of time um, leading to almost, but it diminished the quality because you're trying to get so much done so fast.
1: That should so, sound familiar to a lot of people, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. And kind of the first thing we wanted to do was start expanding the number of staff able to even conduct these meetings. So a couple of years ago, um, our state allows us to put um, general ed teachers or ha- people who have their teaching license, through, um, they can sit for a practice test um, to receive that endorsement to be able to, to do that. And so we had a prep course in order to kind of prepare them and, you know, prepare them for that. Um, so they were still general education teachers, but they started receiving their ESL endorsement uh, so they could be, you know, participating in these parent meetings and teacher meetings to, be able to just build the capacity of staff involved. Um, and then the next thing we realized as we got more people involved is a significant chunk of time was being dedicated to simply printing forms, signing forms, making photocopies. And while it may seem minuscule at the moment, aggregated, these activities were consuming vast amounts of time that could have been used in other things. So kind of what we started doing, that's part of why we started using the first software mentioned earlier, Elevation, just because you could start by starting the forms online and then kind of printing and sign them. But we also, as I watched it, I realized you're still printing and doing some photocopies. So we finally asked, maybe earlier this year, um, our state allowed Elevation to use electronic signatures. So you could do the form of what, you know, what accommodations a certain child needed, um, add who's there, and then you could sign online. Um, or the digital signature, you can have an iPad, or you could type it in and sign it. And if a parent was there, they could sign it either way either. And so you could batch when you did the the printing and mailing of photocopying, and you could put it in alphabetical order. So if the filing system, the paper filing system in alphabetical order, you could set it up that you printed just those names, and then you could just put them in, and it would just reduce the time there or for mailing out. So we started there. So when the school's, were let out, and we needed to conduct compliance meeting, we had all that ready to go. But where we started was teaching people how to do it on Zoom, and then using all those new teachers to be able to handle the, the time needed. So before we would have maybe a handful of staff, we had 10, 15, 20 teachers in our division being able to all put in the same information in the same program. So, you know, not different spreadsheets, not different Excel files floating around, just a centralized place, uh, and, then, and the teacher would be able to talk, share their opinions, and then sign online. And I remember being in an um, IEP meeting where, you know, now what we do is we have the IEP, and if it's a, a multilingual learner, we also bring in that, those forms so the parent can view their uh, language plan as well. Right. And so the, I, I remember the IEP uh, person started, the IEP was like, wait, you guys have electronic signatures? Ah, uh, I'm jealous. And I was like, I know, sorry, (laughs) I can't help you right now, but maybe in the future. Um, And so, but, and then we're excited because in the fall, no matter what happens, we know that we have all this staff ready to be able to reach out to parents, get them on a call and really have quality conversations about, especially now how everything is going to work, come up with a plan and document it and have the parent, you know, date, time and stamp that, they were involved with this meeting you we We're able to show that we're able to you know bring in our parents and um and bring them into the conversation so that their students their children are going to get the most support possible at this time so that's what i'm personally excited about because all comes back to how does it affect uh students how does it affect children right
1: right yeah, you mentioned two things there that I've heard uh, quite a bit of. The first one is, you know, it's from what you said, you 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 kind of were already working on trying to make this happen just to make the whole process more efficient so that that would trickle down to having more time to spend with your students. That's, I mean, we talk about compliance all the time, but compliance is really just efficient compliance means that you have more time to spend with students, which is so important. So, like, I'm hearing from folks that during this whole school closure thing, the people who have been most successful, I feel like, have said, we had we were already working on this, and then when this happened, it really inspired us to take the next step, and so we did. And and that sounds like it's is what happened with you. The second piece is um, the idea of family engagement. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we we did a poll recently on our weekly community brief and asked folks if if this whole school closure thing has has made. Uh, family engagement has, has, has allowed you to engage more with families. And it was a 50-50 split down the middle, which was really interesting because most of the questions we ask are like 80-20, depending on what, what's being asked. And my, my sort of analysis of that was the people who have had sort of um, family engagement, in this case, practices in place, particularly those that involve some sort of technology, are seeing Huge successes because you know, as a student now, your family is behind you in your Zoom meeting, whatever else else you're having. If you're still doing those meetings electronically, they're now more involved. So again, you're able to kind of use uh, whatever, in this case, Elevations tools to um, to kind of help, to to build on something, right, and to actually make more connections, which I think, which I think is great. Um, and and so like going from there, you know. Again, like there's, the, there's this sort of change management piece, though, that's still involved there. And I, when it gets to that, you mentioned when you started there, this is probably a good place to start. I think you said that all compliance forms were handwritten, right?
0: Uh, yes. When I first started a while back, you know, you had the pre-printed, you know, it had the forms and it'd be like the name the template. For like, the template was there. And we had, I mean, I, my colleagues and I had to handwrite, you know, for which student, the number, the level, the accommodations the report the recent access scores or elp scores and you'd handwrite them all and then go photocopy them so then they can go in the folder and a copy to the right. parent and so i remember that my first year doing that and i this is now this is my first steps in efficiency hacking i guess i would race myself right i'd uh, sit there and be like how fast can I get through these forms? And I was like, I bet I can write really fast. So I was like writing small to get like the most on it, like the least amount of time per, per word with smaller print, you know, going as fast as I could. But then after like three hours of writing, I really remember sitting myself and my hand hurting. I said, is how I'm spending my time kind of like best for kids? Because I could have been planning collaborating, reaching out to a parent, teaching, you know, you could have been doing a lot of these other things that have high yield value uh, for families. Right. Um, and, and so I remember the first step, um, I think it was either a year after that, I think I had seen mail merge for the first time. So don't make fun of me, but I'd seen it and I said, that's my answer. And so <laughs> I remember fiddling around cause I didn't understand it at first, you know, new, new technology for me. Um, I know some people are not pros at that, but I, I was sitting there making it work and getting like, how much can I automate these forms? And some of my colleagues, of course, kind of felt abandoned because I I could have been helping handwrite those forms. You know, I just lost handwriting time to, right. to uh, things. But then, but then finally, I remember feeling victorious when I finally got it working and I clicked print, and all these forms came out. They used to take us five, ten hours. And they just came out of the printer. And that was like my, our first step towards making that happen. So I just remember that moment. So it's the same process getting, and there's always things I feel still in my division. I'm like, man, if I take some time and learn to automate that, that could really save some other staff members times. But that was kind of that first step towards automating um, compliance. So you could take that time. And spend it on high value, high yield time with either students or with teachers or with parents, you know, and that because that's where um, I think the real value lies.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I think I mean I think most people would agree with that, but again, it's that like it's that idea that no, I my manila folder works. Like it's how I've been doing it. It does, it does. And I've dedicated (laughs) this like evening time to like bang these all out and and I would even say like and I, I would consider myself in some ways one of these people some people like I don't know like a rote task here and there is kind of like a nice brain break <laughs>
0: right <laughs> you know oh, and yeah. like, you can and i like and I don't know on. if that's a part of
1: it yeah like yeah. I don't know if that's a part of it but it, I mean I remember like as a when I was doing the training for elevation like I mean it was very clear to people that this is a huge time saver and our district is accepting it and the state is accepting it and everything is in place but man i you're gonna have to rip that manila folder out of your hand if we're ever gonna get anywhere with this thing, and it's hard, you know and yeah. i and I empathize with those folks because I get it
0: yeah i've I've heard if I can't I want to lick it, I want to touch it, I want to mark it up and um and I'm like, oh I know, so just print it out, but just make sure it's on my online portion on my online part two. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Do you And then you got to do both, unfortunately. Although there's probably a lot of evidence against that whole uh, touching it and looking at it at this point.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That was pre, that was pre all of this. So yes, right. you're right.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So more on the remote learning piece. Um, I'm, I'm, as we talk about kind of adopting new tools and doing things more efficiently, clearly you're the type of person where you, you know, you're self-percept self-professed, not sort of a tech person. However, you do enough tinkering that you're able to kind of figure it out, which is great. Um, And you do that on your own. A lot of folks do. But how has this shift to remote learning helped increase awareness and adoption of tools uh, that that otherwise might not have been used to help maximize efficiency and free up time for for higher quality education, whether that be at this point remote over Zoom or in a blended situation or brick and mortar moving
0: forward? Um, I think a couple things so the first first part you kind of see is the value of time because it's just taking longer to get things done so for example you you got to spend time training and teaching families how to adopt uh, various technologies um, and then spend the actual time then once they get it on the learning you know so any minute spent working on something clerical we you know realized my wife was working on something the other day and she's like i finished this you know, clerical piece that was needed, but I didn't get to see my kids as much today. You know, they, um, I wanted to spend time with them. And a big thing that I've seen, and this just happens to be in our division. Our division is a Microsoft division. So I know every division has different um, technology things, but there were programs on there that weren't necessarily being utilized or touched otherwise. Um, In our case, it was Microsoft Teams, and so we found that getting the teams on the kids', either phones or computers, it acted as a, a direct phone line into their house, so they would call us, we'd like call them um, and be able to like get things started, or like, "Hey, we'd be able to call and get parents say, "Can you get them all on this time so we can be more uh, coordinated with this?" and that is something that you know was not in high use before then because you were able to do a lot of that in person, so not to say you know that particular program or anything, but it really started opening up okay we already have some things that we have access to that can streamline uh, what's possible and what I'm hoping to um, see is flexible learning kind of going forward so even say we're back in school um, you know some students need to be able to kind of help us after school and it's not it's very difficult to get us back together after school, but if they're able to send a message like, hey, and it's not always email, you know, an email's there, but it can be a video chat or a thing, and you can really help someone um, more flexibly um, throughout the week. So that's kind of what I am excited to see is more tools to help even when education kind of resumes the way we remember it, we're gonna have more tools to help students outside of school per se.
1: Yeah, and hopefully more for lack of a better term kind of forced adoption and knowledge of those tools. You know, right. people have had to learn quickly and I would I would argue and I've said this before in the podcast and probably five times a day in other <laughs> parts of my life that like without this whole thing having happened I, I don't think that we would have ever seen this kind of sort of sea change right. in the way that we're using technology. And I, and while I think that, and I, this is kind of where it get to this next question, um, but it, 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 while I think that some of that has been great, I do think that some of it probably people are going to be ready to sort of stop doing, and that's going to be understandable. But I just hope it doesn't all go away and we don't go back to kind of what we remembered as normal, um, because I think that that might be comfortable, but it would be a missed opportunity.
0: Yes, I would be in agreement um, with that. We have a, a big opportunity to incorporate this all going forward.
1: Yeah, so in the spirit of that sort of uh, idea, I wanted to ask you sort of two questions in one here. Um, one is, is, is you, you've talked a lot about sort of, you know, what you've learned and what you've done over this, this period and what you were doing beforehand and then how you kind of made them even better. I'd like to know um, two things. One, what are you, plan on continuing doing that you've kind of started or done during this time of school closures? Um, and and are, are there anything, is there anything that you just don't want to continue doing that you don't see yourself doing moving forward? Maybe, maybe unfair, because maybe a little too early to ask that question, but I'm asking you to go ahead a Um
0: Yes. So a big thing for me, right? So we talked about compliance and making it more efficient, but that the real reason you want to make it more efficient is so you can spend more time connecting with families. And a big thing that I would like to see continue is it fostering more direct communication between all teachers and all students. And what I mean by that is um, many of our students' families may have a, a different language at home. And so I really am trying to see and encourage teachers to feel comfortable with interpretation services happening as we use these technologies, you know, because an easy one for teachers to grab has been the the text messaging that can help Google translate it, which is great, but there's some limitations um, with that. It's different when you're, can really, especially staff, teachers, administrators, when, because what can happen at different places is families may get to know the one or two or, you know, handful of staff that can translate in the staff, you know, for that division, right? They just know to go to them because they have the same language and will help them guide them. But the more and more all teachers and all administrators feel comfortable with translating, they're going to be able to talk to all their parents and all parents are going to be able to talk to all staff, you know, and that's huge um, because if you think of it from the perspective of a parent, it's great that you have a champion at this school or champions that help guide you through, but to really, to get to know more and more of the principals, the vice principals and the other teachers having some, you know, cause I think some programs have a self interpreting thing and the trick there is just to be patient. Cause if it's doing like a computer audio, it's there, but you just gotta be patient. Yep. Or if it's a live human, you know, either way you can have, uh, in-time interpretation, it just takes getting both people used to doing it and being okay with it. It just takes a little longer to kind of get everything across because it's got to be repeated. Um, but I think that's going to be a huge win when we really can say, you know, all our multilingual families can communicate with all our staff and everyone feels comfortable um, doing that because then there will be real no um, missed relationship, you know, because they can have full range of relationships possible.
1: Sure. Yeah. And I think like a lot of other things we were talking about, we've sort of established a foundation here that family engagement is not only sort of important from the top down, but now it's become important at every level. I mean, if you don't have buy-in from families at this point, or didn't have it during the three months that we were in school while this was happening, um, you know, it was really tough to to make it happen. So, And now, you know, it's it's become something that I feel like has taken... I think the priority that it's always deserved. So I'm glad you brought that up. And I think, you know, as as we establish those relationships and those kinds of tools that you mentioned improve, the only step that we need to take is just, as you mentioned, to get teachers sort of comfortable with using them and communicating with families. Yes. So I, I want to wrap up here with a couple more questions. One is a question that I used to ask um, folks quite a bit, and I've sort of gotten away from it as we've been kind of uh, it, it, uh, doing a lot of um, sort of remote learning-based podcasts and trying to just support folks. But I wanna, you're gonna be the first person that I kind of reintroduce this question to and I'm excited about it because uh, it's. I think it's an important one because it asks for resources. And the question is, is there a book or other resource that has influenced you um, either personally or professionally that you'd like to share?
0: Sure, I think, I thought about this a lot actually, but I thought about um, an author's message that's kind of resonating with me Really right now, the book is called Relentless and the author is um, Hamish Brewer. and the book itself is strong, but I think part of what it is is he's a principal that teaches in a neighboring county. But one thing that stood out with me and his book is that uh, I sit with the um, kind of the, the state board to kind of advise the State Department on, uh, for multilingual learners, and every year we put on a conference to kind of support um, multilingual instruction for English learners uh, in the state of in the state of Virginia, which is where we're located. And he, uh, you know, he gets a lot of offers to come speak now, but when he realized that our goal was to help English learners, because I think he's originally from New Zealand. Um, so he always says he still has a, a language learning because of the culture, I guess. Um, but I, where I know he has, administrated at has been areas where really he's done a lot of great work showing multilingual families that they're included and they're going to be represented and that they're going to get the support they need to be a part of the school. So, um, he, And it's kind of like a no excuses attitude, you know, because sometimes it's hard, especially with interpreters, it's hard because you got to schedule it, organize it, and it takes longer to do so. Right. But, no excuses, you're going to get a a big win working with those families. And I I kind of really appreciate um, just working with him uh, a few times I have and uh, reading through his book. So that would be my personal recommendation right now.
1: Great. We will link to that book. And it's one that I have not read. um, And that's always a plus for me. It's funny, like 75% of the books that I read, I feel like come from recommendations from guests, which is, I guess, a little self-serving, but others have told me that it's useful for them too. So I'm going to continue doing it. Um, And you've graciously offered uh, for folks to reach out to you if they have questions about things that we brought up here. Uh, I know that there's a lot of things that we got to, but there's a lot that we didn't as well. Um, So if folks have questions either about um, the car metaphor that we referenced, or if they have (laughs) questions about how to make things more efficient and why compliance is so important for getting to the students using technology, elevation, or anything else um, to kind of streamline things. How can they get in touch with you?
0: Oh, sure. Um, I work at Fredericksburg City Public Schools, and my work email there is T Johnson at cityschools.com. So T J O H N S O N at C I T Y S C H O O L S dot com.
1: Perfect. And we'll link to that as well. Um, Thomas, I just want to thank you so much for uh, for joining us, but most importantly for the great work that you're doing um, in Fredericksburg City Schools and uh, and appreciate you taking the time today.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it.